Thanks for tuning in to the Big Red Hunters podcast, your host, Hunter Deidel. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to Ben Page of the Foul Front Outdoors. Uh, awesome guy. He's actually one of the main reasons I got into podcasting, just because the way he talked to people and uh, engaged people, especially with R3 and conservation. And ironically enough, that's where he moved his career. Now he works in the outdoor industry. Uh, we get into some of the R3s, the conversations, and... Uh, we get into some of the arguments for and against R3 and conservation. If you don't know what that is, just wait a couple minutes. <laughs> we'll get into the podcast and talk more about it. Uh, but before I kind of move on here, there's something I want to uh, market. So Ben Page rant, uh, wrote a few children's books about conservation. That way you can kind of get your kids in that conservation mindset early on. Uh, check out FileFrontOutdoors.com. They go on sale September 1st. Go ahead and check it out because I'm I'm super excited, especially having a baby. I'm going to be buying all three of them. Uh, really look forward to it. And the other great part is at the end of the podcast, he told me he's giving 11% back to conservation. So this guy's really, I mean, Ben's just a great guy across the board. Everybody I know that knows him has nothing but amazing things to say. But including that, I mean, a guy that's willing to give up some of the profit for conservation he needs, a, he needs a little pat on the back, and you need to go on and buy the books from him. So, all right, guys, let's go ahead and jump in the podcast. Welcome back to the Big Red Hunters podcast, your host, Hunter Dietl. We got a special one for you tonight. Before we get there, co-host Jeremy. What up, brother? We're, uh, we're enjoying the demon, the demon dog. dog. <laughs> yeah, she... Uh, this is the second day I've been over here. Last night, she was, like, reasonable. Tonight, yeah. she is on... On something. I don't know what... I don't know what happened with her. Uh, she spent all day at Terrell's, too, so I know she got played with. Yeah. And she fought the cat. <laughs> and she fought the cat, yeah. <laughs> but uh, tonight we got a special one for you, listeners. Uh, it's obviously a main part of our show. Uh, conservation is a big part, as well as trying to get new hunters uh, across the board into the sport. That's why I'm bringing on Ben Page. How you doing, Ben? Good. How are you guys doing? It's... Uh, it's it's a busy stage in life, you know. Like we're just talking about, I got a baby girl on the way. You understand because you have a baby girl. It's it's uh, it's busy. Plus, I don't know if you've been listening to podcasts. I got a house coming, and so yeah, to, busy times, man. Lots of change, lots of change. Yeah, you ain't wrong there, buddy. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's just uh, it's been a fun one. It's been eh, just a very busy part of my part of my life. <laughs> But how was uh how was the move from Kansas to Nebraska? Well, good. It was great. You know, I I made that move like during COVID, yeah. And so it was uh, it was it was quite uh, there, was, there was a lot of unique issues. I don't think you have to deal with um, when you know moving in a, in a time of uh, maybe even 
a what would you call it kind of like uh we're all used to the pandemic now yeah uh, or, or is it over question but like at the beginning we had we had no idea yeah, um yeah. and to make it even like doubly worse because i was also like getting out of the army during that time too so i was doing a career shift and so i went into like a brand new career field working from home and that was interesting um and uh, of course just trying to navigate all the things anybody any of your listeners out there who are veterans will know like all the things that you have to do to get out of the army uh, or, or the military and having to try to do that in like a, uh, a frenzied pandemic state was, it was really interesting I mean, it was pretty sporty so. uh, just from your perspective i know you're getting out but how did uh, how would the or, or how how did the army handle it i mean was it a s- smooth thing or they just kind of like freak out like everybody else no, nah, I, I, I have six zero comment on this because I was, I was up doing uh, what I call like a work release program for like my last couple months, right gotcha. during, you know, that they like let me do a, uh, I say work release program, kind of funny, but it was um, basically the unit had already left um, uh, for, they were, they were going to do some training and they were like, Ben, you can go do whatever you want. And so I went and did this like uh, this internship thing and then I came back um and I don't know, nobody was there that I knew. And I had to do all this like post clearing stuff. They were like trying to find me, um, so that I could go do a 14 day quarantine cause I'd been out of the state and I was like, uh, just running around trying to get all my signatures and, uh, uh, before somebody caught me. So <laughs> that was kind of my life. Uh, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a fun one. But uh, yeah, yeah. I know I know we've connected back and forth when you got when you moved to Lincoln and it you, you, you know you missed out on a fun couple of hunts but it seems you know I, I'll say this it seems like you know some people just just can't get on good goose hunts you know Jeremy oh, Brad don't don't <laughs> do this to me don't don't uh, you know I yeah, actually you know I'll take it I threw a lot of shade your way in the last podcast acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> I had Starbucks today, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I so so Ben. We co- recorded one last night, which is already released by the time we release this one. But we're talking about like gas pricing and stuff, and how we can cut costs or like ways people can hunt this next year, um, just by everything that's going on. And what, a couple of his thing is like he was giving me crap about buying Boss, and then he was giving me crap because uh, yeah, I like Starbucks. I'm not gonna lie. He's like, oh, you know, back off on the coffee, you'd be fine. I'm like, no, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> so, you know, I was kind of big talk about, you know, everybody was like, oh, gas prices are going to be way up this year and it's going to affect my hunting. And dude, I work from home. And so I don't like, I'll do like a fake commute. I'll drive around like the block a couple times or like maybe take my daughter to daycare that's like three minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously, you know, I go driving, you know, setting up cameras and stuff like that. Um, but it's not, I don't drive as much as most people do. And so I was like kind of talking big smack about how it wasn't going to, uh, affect my hunting and <laughs> people just need to keep toughen up. And then I went like, like three weekends in a row, I was out working on properties and driving around. And I told my wife, I said, Hey, if gas prices, uh, you know, stay this high, I think I'm just going to be hunting in the backyard this year. Um, she was not enthused about that, but, um, <laughs> You know, I think you're right. You could probably skip the Starbucks and uh, um, get yourself like a, after about a month, get yourself like a third of a tank. You know, I will say this, like, 
I there's a there's a really weird transition when you like become a parent and it happens momentarily without your notice but one day like before we had the baby or knew about the baby like Costco we got a membership but it, we really didn't use it but like the last two months Costco has been fire <laughs> like I bought coffee from there that I've been drinking instead of actually Starbucks except today because Starbucks but roughly six roughly sixty percent of uh, of my formal wear comes from Costco. Oh man, they, they have, have some good clothes. Like yeah. I'm not even gonna lie, <laughs> I'm not even married. I don't even have a kid, but I love Costco. <laughs> like so, part of my job is I do I uh, like customer relations and I put on stuff and I put on this tailgate. Dude, Costco, I put on a tailgate for fifty five dudes, three hundred bucks. Really? That included yeah. like three cases of beer. Dang. Like that's legit. Three hundred bucks to feed fifty five dudes, like high five. It was yeah. legit. But that's pretty good. Yeah. So either way, we're totally off track. <laughs> I'm what I meant to talk to or guide into was how how was your hunting season? I know you've been getting into deer quite a bit and getting into goose. How was your season this year? Yeah, I would say like primarily uh when I was in the last decade, I've been pretty much just like a duck hunter and I would passively hunt deer. I got my first on it like i i was a big deer hunter in like high school and college but uh when i was in the army it was mostly duck hunting and um not really any goose hunting until i got up into kansas um and i would tell you you know after getting passionately back into to archery bow hunting the last three years or so uh, this is probably like my best season yet on all species accounts except for maybe ducks. Mm. uh that is not not a good duck year for me yeah. Um, you know, really you just can't anyone. beat Kansas. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> I actually, um, I would say, um, when I, where I was at in Texas, way, way out West, uh, like near El Paso, um, I would put that duck up, duck hunting up against Kansas, Oklahoma, um, and any of the other places I, I've hunted ducks. That was kind of, um, I made a pilgrimage back there last year, actually, to, to go hunt with a buddy down there. And it was that, that was the best duck hunting season I ever had was when I was in stationed out in the desert. Um, kind of interestingly enough. But, do you ever hunt the Rio? But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got yeah. a really, I've got a, I got an awesome story about, I got a couple awesome stories about hunting the Rio Grande. Um, and, uh, right there on the Mexican, Mexico, United mm-hmm. States border. Uh, I mean, it's pretty crazy out there. Yeah, I've always heard good things about that area. There's a lot of immigration yeah, yeah. jokes I want to make right now, <laughs> but I'm going to proceed past. Uh, I'm going to proceed past it. He says. Shooting ducks for immigrants. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> kind of messed up, but I, I'd made the joke. I did yeah, it. You did it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you I, did it. I don't condone it. Um, <laughs> so, Hey, if they're friendly, no, but that's, hey, a, I'm fine. A, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a great culture down there in El Paso, Texas. It's like everybody... Um, that I ran into was was nice, inviting, welcoming. Like it was kind of like the Nebraska of the of uh, the Southwest, I think. Um, but yeah, but I but yeah, would, I would of, love to go down there and hunt that. Can I? T- I I gotta tell the story. I, I probably told it before. Um, but I was duck hunting on the Rio Grande uh, once, and just so everybody kind of paints you a picture. The, the way that this works is like you drive through a hole in this like 20, 25 foot, um, tall 
like wire wall. So you drive through a hole in the border wall. And then you drive along this dirt road up on top of this levee, like this little, um, I don't know, it's just like a raised, um, like a raised wall, you know, kind of like a, like a pond dam. Um, and so you drive down there and then you hunt on, on the, on the Rio. It's about, Oh, anywhere from 30 yards to, um, 60 yards from the levee. And then at least down where I was hunting the, you know, it, it was never more than, you know, 20 or 30 yards uh, wide. The, the river wasn't, and you could wade across the, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was out there hunting uh, one morning. It was just myself, and I'm really mad that I didn't bring somebody else on this hunt, and, and you'll, you'll see why. But um, I shoot the, these two ducks come flying over, and I must have miscalculated the trajectory or whatever, but I shoot these two ducks and got a double. But they both land over in Mexico. Um, now, I'm not, like, one to pu- I'm not one to, like, push my luck, right? And I, yeah. I've asked the border, I've, a- I've asked the border patrol guys before, like, you know, hey, what's the, what's the rules here? And the rule is that you have to keep your feet wet, is what, is what they explained to me. Hmm. Um, and I said, well, what about my dog? He said, dogs come and go across the border all the time. <laughs> it's probably not an issue. Um, but I was sitting there contemplating whether or not I was going to be uh, an international uh, fugitive of some <laughs> sort to go get these two ducks um, while being a good conservationist, right? And, uh, you know, off out of nowhere, this vaquero comes riding up, a uh, you know, Mexican cowboy. And uh, he screeches to a halt on the other side and he goes, patos, patos, which is with ducks in, in Spanish. And I was like, yeah, see, see, patos. <laughs> <laughs> and so he gets off his horse and starts looking around and um he he's gone for a little bit and then he comes back to the shore to the bank and he's holding he's holding the two ducks and i could i i knew one was a sunni uh and the other one was what's called a um uh, a mexican duck mexican oh, okay, mallard. yeah mexican mallard uh yeah not sure if you've seen them or anything like that but um and he's holding both of them in there and i see a flash of contemplation go across his eyes he looks down at the ducks and he chucks a duck my way and he shoves another duck in his saddle bag and rides off. Mm. Fortunately, he kept the spoonie. Not not to exacerbate that uh, whole adage of spoon bills not being like great tasting or anything, but I was I was uh, uh, happy about uh, about his selection. Bruh, I mean Mexican mallard. I'd- you know, I, I let it go, but you know the spoonbill. Be a fugitive over that, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's. But a, do you see why? Do you see why I was mad that nobody was playing with me? Oh yeah, because yeah. I mean, because to have that story one just like by itself, is yeah. Fine, but to have it corroborated and like to also just know that you know, anybody listening is probably like, ah, oh, that guy's full of it. Yeah, like, right. That hurts. That hurts me so bad. <laughs> To know that it was not corroborated. <laughs> That's one my biggest fear is to catch a duck and then have no evidence of it at all. Right. Just oh. those situations where it's like I don't have enough to prove it. Yeah, you know what they say about like uh, people um, having seen something and and uh, um, and and only having two people there, right? Mm, two. Yeah. <laughs> two is one. One is none. In that sense. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Moving on. You were asking me about this season and I 
derail this. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, I would say one of the reasons that this hunting season was like the best yet was just a couple things. Um, recruitment wise, I, I took out three new hunters, one of which I know uh, has already bought their hunting license this year and has plans to go out on their own. Um, I killed my personal best biggest buck this year. Um, and with, with, with archery tackle and, um, the, the most important reason why this, um, hunting season was the best yet was my daughter went on about a dozen hunts this year with me. Um, deer hunts. We actually got a doe together. Um, she went on a couple of duck hunts, a lot of goose hunts, and then like three or four turkey hunts. So as a, as a four year old, um, so I was pretty, I was pretty stoked about kind of the season that we had together and, and how much, um, we bonded over that and how much she like talks about it. Um, at daycare, they kind of asked her to stop talking about hunting. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I am super, um, just super stoked about that experience. And, and that's kind of why it, it's been my best hunting season yet. Yeah. I can see why that would be your best hunting season. Yeah. We're already, I and the buddies are already talking about ways to be able to get our, get the old baby girl out next year. Yeah. There's been a lot of oh. ideas come through. Hey, I got some, I got some tips for you. So, um, I, I have had a less than year old out, um, on a hunt before, uh, and it's a lot out. Here's the secret. It's a lot of preparation. It's uh, completely rewriting what your definition of success is. Um, and one of those success metrics is like how much poop you don't have on your hand. So that's, that's one of them. Um, and then it's very gear intensive. I'll just say that. Just, uh, you just got to give them some, like a dirty water baptism, you know, or muddy water uh, baptism, black water baptism, just, just, uh, a, just a little bit of a dip, you know, just clean it off. Something tells me Shay I, wouldn't like that. It's, yeah, no, no, it's all, it's, and it's all big talk and you have, until you have that soft little mushy human that relies on you for life. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. No, I hear you there. No, I, oh man, it's gonna, it's gonna change life. But the nice part is I've got a, a buddy that has, he's got, it's now he has three kids, uh, a couple daughters, three kids now. And so he's got a, a lot of, uh, wisdom to give me, so It'll be nice to be able to get his kid out, my kid out, and uh, I got a cousin you know, cousin now that he hunts, but I'd like to get his daughter out too. So I'm I'm planning on creating like a whole like tribe of ladies that can out hunt any of the guys that I know. Dude, that's my life goal right there. Is like when a boy goes to ask my daughter out, he's like feeling emasculated that she is a bigger dirt nap dealer than he is. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. That's fantastic. Um, but hey, one one good. I just remembered this too. Um, one good thing that you can do, especially in that like first year of your daughter's life, or your in the, or that even that second year. Listen, mom is always going to be tired, and she's always going to be like happy that you take the kid away from her for you know little brief periods of time so that she can get a nap or just has something that's not just sucking the life out of her. Right. Yeah. Um, and dude, scouting missions, right? So get your kid trained up to like, just fall asleep in the car seat and just hit the road 
I, I think I've never did, I've never done as much scouting uh, as I did when, when my daughter was like in the little blob phase, you know, like from yeah. like four to, you know, 18 months or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so much miles put <clears throat> on the truck with. I'll have to keep that in mind because so baby's coming probably no, like early November and like I'm not gonna lie, it's been it's kind of been bittersweet on my end because she's kind of ruined like all my hunting plans for the year. <laughs> like we were gonna go to South Dakota for a week and then I had a guided trip that I was gonna do to Michigan to hunt or go on you know the Great Lakes and sea duck hunt and diver hunt and then, so those are gone. But I was like you know. I'm going to make the most of it and make some like short, like upland trips. And then when we get into goose season, I'll really make the most of like going out and scouting and, you know, making, making the best of a, of a situation. Oh yeah, man. And that's, uh, you'll, you'll look back at this conversation in like two years and you'll be like, Oh man. Um, like I had it all wrong. It's pretty crazy time. Like, and of course now you're like every hunting meme ever now. Right. Hunter. Yeah. It's like you're yeah, poor poor planning decision cycle right there. Um, <laughs> so. literally happened like the week before Valentine's Day, so yeah. yes. Yeah. Like you are that you're that meme incarnate. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. At least I didn't bring that one up to you yet. Yeah. You haven't tried to hurt me that way. I haven't tried to hurt you that way. <laughs> but since we're already twenty minutes in this conversation, let's let's go ahead and jump into the R three. Uh, tell us a little about what you do now, um, and then what your kind of life mission is, and a little bit about R three. Oh, okay. Before I answer any of these questions, I do have to say that the opinions that you hear from me are the opinions of myself alone. They don't necessarily reflect the uh, opinions of my employer our clients or like any other affiliations that I have uh, professionally or otherwise. So whatever, like whatever I'm about to say is just a fellow hunter and uh, uh, R3 dude talking to you guys. Uh, it's not like any sort of uh, official stance from any like conservation organization or anything. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Knock that out. Okay. Yeah. So the, I, I'm the marketing and engagement manager for a, a software and, and solutions company. It sounds very conservation doesn't it? Um, that they work with state fish and wildlife agencies to build their licensing solutions, their, their mobile app, event management software, all the, all the things that when you go onto your state agency.com or gov um, or their mobile app and you see and interact with it, um, that's, that's kind of, that's what my company does or our competitors do, right? So, uh, so when you go online to buy your license or you're at Walmart or, or a tackle shop or you're on that mobile app, that's likely the work of either the company that I work for or a company like it. And a lot of people, do, I didn't realize that state agencies rely on, you know, private sector companies like that uh, to help them keep up to date, improving user experience and, and the like. And I, I honestly didn't even know that when I applied to this, this company. So there's that. Um, what I what I do um, there is is I manage the, the marketing and the R three technology solutions that we we offer to state agencies. Um, so basically, technology that they can use to create you know better and, and more mutually beneficial relationships with with their hunters and anglers, right? So things that make your experience as a customer better, more personalized, or less personalized in, in some cases, 
um, and also helping them leverage their data in a way that's like a win-win for the agency and the, the sportsman. So, um, in, in addition to just that, the product side there, I also manage a team of like marketers and designers that help assist those state agencies run their their campaigns. There are three initiatives and communication strategies that would be you know critical to agency goals and objectives, um, and critical to you know making sure you buy your deer permit this year. Those types of things. Yeah. Wow, that's that was a mouthful. I didn't I had I had no idea that they used a private agency. Um now just thinking about it, has Sportsman Solutions ever thought about uh proposing something to Wyoming because And Colorado. They're both pretty <laughs> jankety. Uh like I said, not here to talk shop <laughs> on that side. Um, uh uh, yeah, but you know, uh, people always ask me too. Oh, you live in Nebraska? You do Nebraska stuff? No, I don't. I don't yeah. do Nebraska stuff. Um, so, just for anyone listening there that wants to send me an email or something like that, I am not the appropriate person to which you should uh, be contacting for that. See, see um, I don't know who would complain about Nebraska. Is it? Is it like phenomenal? No, but like it actually is. The user experience is pretty easy going. Yeah, really and, and you know, you were mentioning you were mentioning some other states, right? There's a there's a entire array. You know, some states built their own, right? Or they had it built one time, and they kind of do the updates and the patchwork on it. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got some states that completely, um, you know, uh, rely on on certain state uh, certain you know entities to you know help them do that stuff. And so there's kind of a whole broad swath in between. Some people want you know, just licensing stuff. Some people want just campground stuff, you know, uh, it's kind of like a, kind of a, a strange market out there, right. That you kind of have to keep track of. And, um, yeah, there's just, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, variance there from, from state to state. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a, I can imagine. I mean, trying to keep, that's a, that's the other thing too, is I think that I would say that I've seen a huge, uh, how should I say this? I've seen a huge uh, development in their their analytics and their marketing tools from the analytics. But even like in Nebraska, they've done a lot better job of it. And so, I mean, if you guys are part yeah, of it, no. if you guys are part of it, good job. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. No, I. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I. Man, I love Nebraska. I wish I wish I could work with them. I, you know, something you just said there, kind of triggered a thought process on me and it i think hunter that you're kind of um i wouldn't say alone but at least you're on the opposite side of um what i would say like the the kind of squeaky wheel is regarding state agencies and marketing and and data and right and you know i think i think a lot of folks think that their agency has like this astronomical amount of of data on them and that they leverage it in ways that you know is at the detriment of the sportsman or is bad for the sportsman um it's just, that's not true. Um, in fact, I, I challenge that assumption that, that anybody that thinks that um, is, is that you actually want your agency to be good with data, um, right? Are you tired of getting a deer permit reminder after you already bought yours? Um, do you wish that they would send you information and content that actually benefits you, Hunter, like um, that you know speaks to the your outdoors graphics or, or who you are or where you're at in life, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, don't you wish they'd be able to speak to you about things and engage with you in a way that actually like merits your trust and, and helps you gain confidence in a way, uh, you know, some transparency and all this, right? 
So like think of a brand that you actually like hearing from and, and listening to what they have to say. And like, wouldn't you also want your state and fish, your state fish and wildlife agency to be one of those brands? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, something that came up even tonight that I thought about and I posted on our podcast page, uh, was, uh, it was a reminder up from Nebraska game and parks about the tier two duck season and making sure yeah. that you had your hip number. Right. And it's like, yeah, like, and depending on who you are, they might see that as a pain, but at the same time, it's like, I could save you a good chunk of change when you don't, you know, choose that on your hip number coming into season. Had somebody in my group who didn't do it last year. $120 ticket. Yep. Just for, yeah, just for not putting in a a few questions. Yep. So I I, I can tell you, like, they've been cracking down on that since last year because of the fact that there's so many people that don't do their hips and then game game wardens are just like, oh, just do it real quick. Yep. But now, right? Like two, so, so the state agency sees that you've purchased your your small game permit and your waterfowl stamp, but then also it recognizes that you haven't yet purchased your hip number. And you know, the day before opening uh, uh, morning, it, they send out, "Oh, hey, see, you forgot your hip." Right? Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, I'm just curious. I, I mean, I think that I think the problem even in the outdoor world is. Even with like hip numbers, I've heard biologists, uh, the people that make those a lot of those decisions about ducks and harvest rates and how to change the shift the bag limits and stuff. Like they really struggle on getting people to even record the simplest of data of like how many ducks they shoot and like what species or even kind of a spitball number because that sentiment of like oh the government has all of my information. I mean, is that something yeah. that you deal with like a lot or what's your opinion on that? No, um, you know, we have like a really good, like ethical, right? Like we're not doing anything that's like not to the the benefit of of the customer. And so we actually don't get a lot of that. Right. So it's, I send you out something that says, Hey, based on your recent, you know, interactions, uh, we think that you might be interested in these products. And I know that that, that, you know, email or that offering is going out to that person, um, you know, based off of what they're, you know, uh, what they've purchased in the past, what they haven't purchased yet, uh, this season, and maybe like interacting with some content, right. And we have a trigger that sends that out. Right. Um, you know, some, you know, this is not like Facebook level creep stuff, right. That's just, you can understand that, 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 that agency would know that about, you know, yes, you purchased something from them. Yes, I have not yet purchased any of those things. That's interesting that they're offering to me that, you know. Well, I guess um, my argument about that would be is that Facebook, being a private entity, does not have to be begotten to the, the laws of the state or the federal government, whereas a public entity of, you know, your game of parks would. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, the one thing that, and there's a, there's a much higher level of responsibility there, right? Because you don't have, you know, you, you have customers, right? But it's constituents is really what it is, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I, I think I do see is like the understanding of, um, you know, say for like a mobile app, right? The, the state agency mobile app asks you, hey, will you share your location with us? And like, you'll see people, I like, get really fired up about that. And they think it's because the game warden is going to come check on them because the game warden's tracking it. When in reality, it's just so that we can show you what the weather and the shooting time is in your area, right? 
Like no one's actually harvesting like, Oh, Hunter Idol is right here at this time. You know, that sort of deal. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> I'm, it's, it's fine. I mean, there's enough game wardens in the base and I don't think they need my location to come find me. So they're going to find me regardless. <laughs> yeah. Probably at nine Amazing. o'clock when I'm running out or walking out with a teal limit. What's up? What's up? <laughs> but, but no, it's it's pretty cool that you're a part of that and are able to be in the outdoor industry in that way. Um, what uh, just just curious, and you don't have to answer this. How has being in an outdoor company and outdoor scenario changed your opinion on the outdoor industry as a whole? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And okay, on the outside, anybody out there who's like, I think a lot of us would right like to aspire to be working in the outdoor industry or in some way, right? Because um, what your job separates you from your life, right? That's that's what a job does, right? And so if you can be in a space where you're passionate about your work every day, then it can be a little bit closer to. Uh, you know, your the core parts of you, uh, which is great and bad. There's, there's sometimes, there's sometimes I wish I was like, man, I wish I was punching out today at five o'clock, but no, I take, you know, that work home with me and I, and I think about it um, probably a little too much and it, it can be, you know, tough to kind of separate the two. Um, but to answer your, your question a little bit more succinctly is, is that one of the things that I see is, in our industry compared to like, let's say like, look at the hospitality industry or something of that nature. Um, you see that they adapt and they change like pretty quickly. And I'm, and I'm, this, I'm not just talking about like state agencies here when I talk about this, I'm talking about, you know, brands and stuff like that as well. Um, they adapt to these like tech problems or these social problems that we have and they're very agile and nimble. Um, and it, to me, there, there seems to be a little bit of lack or some, some not backwardness, but um, kind of resistance to change or, or accept uh, the ways of the time uh, when it comes to updating what we're doing. Um, and a lot of that kind of boils down to like relevancy. And so what I get a little bit about from having been in the industry is kind of, it gets unveiled to you and you're like, oh, all these things and entities and brands and and, and people that I thought were way up here, it's like, oh, no, they're human beings. They put their pants on, you know, one foot at a time, sometimes two, right? Um, but that that's, like, my biggest thing. It's just once you're on the end, kind of, I'm, I wouldn't call myself on the inside, but, like, once you're in that space, you can just kind of see that, okay, yeah, um, these are just people. And um, they're not, they, not everybody's got it figured out. And I'm sure that's every industry, right? You get in there, you think it's all figured out and then you realize, Oh, there's a lot left to be figured out. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I think that something yeah. is speaking to that a little bit was when we had, so we had Ted LaGrange on, he's the, the wetland manager for the state of Nebraska. And you know, in the past I've definitely critiqued the state of Nebraska and how they did stuff and did with marches, marshes and, the thing, the biggest thing about that podcast I learned is that it it boils down to information, and it, it kind of I'll wrap that into what you know some of the stuff you do is like I got the information from him that really made sense of why the state was doing what they did, and you know sometimes you agree or disagree with what they're doing, but at least you understand why they're doing it, and I think that's one of the biggest disconnects on hunters and their state agencies 
is understanding why they do stuff and when they do it. And I think that some of the issue stems from the fact that, like, previ- I would say, like, up till five years ago, you know, say 80s, 90s, the dissemination of information really either came for your local news or you're through your newspaper. Now, in our generation, the dissemination of information was really on social media, and it's taken our state agencies a long time to catch up to that that way of disseminating information. And I will say in the last, like, three years, I've seen a huge difference and a huge push on disseminating that information through social media and those, you know, that style. And I will say they've done a good job, but I would say... I agree with you on the change stuff because I won't really push into it too much, but there's definitely, we've got a Turkey problem in Nebraska that I would like to see some change in, but it seems to be some pushback. Well, think about it. Pushback. Think about it like, think about it like this too, right? Um, These state agencies, they're essentially driving like big ships. Whereas these other brands and maybe some of these other entities, right? They're driving jet skis around. They can turn, they can be agile, they can be nimble. Um, but for a state agency to, you know, really turn, it has to be steadfast because it's got a lot of responsibility to the resource, the constituents, um, things need to be well thought out and they need to be measured. Those, those types of change. And though we can all, you know, sit there and say, this is a common sense thing. This needs to happen. Well, there needs, they, they need to have that measured approach. Um, because it takes a lot to, to, you know, change a, the, the course of, of a ship. Right, as opposed to a jet ski. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't, I don't love it, but it makes sense. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> right? It's, it's a, it's, it's a, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough challenge. Sometimes you just see the iceberg coming, and you're just like, "Hey, there's an iceberg," and it just keeps cruising, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's there's definitely a big, big. Uh, let down in population numbers in Nebraska. We might might want to turn right a little bit. There's an iceberg coming. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry. Another, oh, another yeah. podcast, another podcast. Another, but yeah. uh, you said we've kind of alluded to a couple of times. If people don't know, can you uh, talk about R3 a little bit and what that meaning is? Uh, yeah. Um, so R3. Um, you know, recruitment, retention, reactivation, uh, essentially, you know, trying to grow participation and stakeholder, um, you know, investment in, in the outdoors, uh, hunting, fishing, shooting sports, right? Um, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of people, when they think of R3, uh, they immediately relate it to marketing. Uh, when it, when it's, it's not just marketing, right? It's programs. Uh, it's comprehensive approaches to how you, you grow stakeholders and participants um, um, in, you know, the outdoors, hunting, fishing, shooting sports, uh, et cetera. You know, that, that could be applied to camping as well. We mostly talk about it with, with hunting and, and the shooting sports, right, um, and fishing. Um, yeah, you know, it's everything from getting new people to participate to keeping new fine folks coming back next year despite, uh, you know, uh, newborn kids and, and new jobs and, and, uh, and the downturn of an economy, right? Uh, and then getting you back after those things do separate you from, from the outdoors. Uh, so it's like, it's education, it's marketing, it's programs, it's, it's access, uh, and growing a culture of more, you know, better conservation minded participants. Um, 
I think one of the, you're talking something kind of lodged something loose in my brain when you said it earlier. I can't remember specifically what you said, but it made me think of like, um, the critiques that, that, the, that the common, um, uh, sportsmen that we all have of, of our three. Um, and I think that was recently really highlighted or put on blast or in the, whatever the national spotlight with, when was that like last February when, um, Nicole Qualtieri and um, and then the then meat eater posted something about you know R three and the critiques of it um, and also too kind of that un, unveiling that I was talking about it's like um, there's I've learned a lot about R three in this last like two and a half years um, that is just very interesting to me and I don't I don't know if you guys would find it interesting or not but uh, can I just ask you bluntly what what do you think of of R three like overall, yeah, I think a lot of uh, hunters spend too much time bickering on Facebook instead of just taking the initiative of taking it in their own hands, and that that's across the board. That means uh, recruiting people that come into the sport to retention, meaning continue to keep on your buddies and continue to have people out, and I think um, that includes helping out the state agencies with what they can and being taking the initiative to serve. And I think that's something that's definitely been lost in our generation across the board is just doing something without needing something in return and serving instead of just sitting back and being an armchair quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that there's like a couple of the arguments and I don't like, I don't disqualify any of these arguments. These are real arguments. Like, these are real critiques of like what R three is and what R three does to to these people. I'm not devaluing anybody that's like, nope, don't like R three. Uh, that's not good, you know. <laughs> like I I get it. Uh, it can be tough, right? Like though you see you hear people saying numbers are down, numbers are down, and you know we need to replace the the baby boomers that are going to be leaving us in in the next five to fifteen years. Uh, but on the same hand, it's like, oh yeah, and I'm also seventh in line at this boat ramp, yeah. right? That's tough. Um, and I don't know. Did you guys want to talk through any like some of those critiques? Or yeah, I mean, you can. Uh, I think that's something to dive into. I, there, I just want to start by saying there is there's an upside and a downside to everything, and it's one of those things that you got to take the good from the bad and run with it. So go ahead. Yeah. I think it's first important to like recognize, um, you know, like, do we need our three, do we need more people to like come into the sport? Like that's a question that you need to ask yourself. Um, like, do you want hunting to be more or less relevant in society than it is today in 50 years? And if you say no, or you don't really care, you know, I mean, that's on you, right? But if you are one of the good fight folks saying, you know, the same mantra that I say every, every day when I wake up is like, Hey, I'm the things that I'm doing today need to make sure that my daughter has, you know, more wild places, um, more wild things, you know, being animals, um, and, and, and game species and just in general, more wild things and then more wild people. Um, in it, like, so I want to make sure she's got better access to hunting opportunities and, and habitat and, and opportunities, um, and experiences that, that I do. 
today. Like that's that's what drives like anything, any ambition that I have at work. That's that's what drives it. Um, and so if, if that's not the case for you, I mean, I guess then go ahead, continue, continue on, right? Um, but also too, maybe some of your your arguments are, are legit and um, right. Like the we need we need access. We don't need marketing, right? Uh, where people saying, no, just get me more habitat, more deer, more ducks, more geese, and the hunter numbers will, you know, they will follow. It's just like anything, right? Where there's more prey, there'll be more predators. Yeah. Um, but I think the, like, the toughest part to swallow about like conservation, marketing, and, and R3 for, for most folks is that, that concept that I was talking about. Hey, you're flooding our public land. And you're flooding it with people who don't understand the first thing about hunting ethics, courtesy and the like, um, that, that whole argument that like, we don't actually need more hunters. We just need better hunters, quality over quantity concept. And there's something to be, to be said about just, you know, build more access, um, have better hunting opportunities. They'll show up. And I'm certain like, okay, no, I'm like a hundred percent certain that access is a critical component to R three into the future. And, and right now, but what I think a lot of folks like fail to realize is that like with all markets, there's like the simple social economics in play. Like you need a large base of stable constituents demanding more supply before you can double down and, and pay for that, that inventory. Right. It's not a chicken or egg debate really in my eyes. It's more of like a sustainable paralleled effort that needs to happen or like one hand washes the other, so to say. Um, and I think, I think that access is a critical um, R three tool, and it's like critical to you and me having a great day outdoors, right? Um, but I think there needs to be a lot more demand for it. Yeah, I see that. I mean, access has been a uh, stout issue, especially here in Nebraska. And uh, I will say, from like an outdoorsman perspective, I got. To some, to some degree, you have the back and forth, and I think this plays out with R3 a little bit. It's like they were talking about building that that uh, lake in, like, the Ashland area. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that proposal went through, but trying to get all the landowners in line, I don't know if they're ever going to achieve it. But if they did, that would be great because it would be another outdoor opportunity. And they were saying that it was going to be purely recreational, which if it was, I'd be all about it because not only one, it, it provides – significant amount of outdoor opportunity from a hunting fishing outdoor recreation standpoint um but i mean it takes from your from your side of the stance it takes demand uh it takes demand from the constituents you have to have in conjunction with landowners and that's a big thing is like here in nebraska we have a large public and i think we have a large public of outdoorsmen it, but you also have to have the balance of being able to have the sign on from landowners. <clears throat> and so the the problem, one of the biggest issues with R3, I think people get frustrated about is just like you got this like gigantic balancing act of so many things and you take, you got to take the little wins. You got to, you got to take the little wins and you got to run with them. But yeah. But along with, with little wins too comes like, uh, one, one another critique of, of R3, right, is scalability. Yeah. Um, and so you'll do something and 
and, and maybe it'll have a small impact. Um, but it's like a drop in the bucket because there's, you know, it's a pretty big fight um, to get us to, you know, where we're not at just 8% or 6% or whatever it is now um, of the people in America that hunt or, you know, or even fish. I think fishing, so like, I don't want to say numbers. I haven't read the most recent reports, but um, yeah, it, it just it seems like so much effort for such a small output, but you're right. Everything adds up and it is a complex environment uh, with a lot of stakeholders, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing is I that's the thing I probably fear the most talking about the percentages is and that doesn't even like that it also includes a lot of things. It doesn't even include the the level of outdoorsmen, which is a smaller community, even just like the community of of gun 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 owners and we've seen the debate especially this last year about gun ownership, gun rights and that kind of stuff. It's and I would say between 30 and 30 and 40% of the population are gun owners. It's like as we become a more urban society and the farther we get away from our grassroots and the farther we get away from what we used to be as a society and even the basics of society that people now fear or don't think of the outdoors or owning a gun and the farther we get detached from that, I mean, you're going to create some serious societal issues when... I mean, there's going to be a course correction eventually. It just depends on when it all goes down. I mean, eventually, something's going to happen, and every every empire eventually falls. It just depends on when, and do we as a society, can we go back to our grassroots? But now talking about, like, yeah. R3, it's like they... Well, no, yeah, and, and think about think about this, too, right? Is, is that, like, okay, um, the average American... Um, it is becoming uh, further distanced from from nature, right? We're becoming more urbanized. Um, we're becoming less white. We're becoming um, well. We're, we're we're the same uh, male female, uh, right? But like the the country is in a, in a in a period of, of changing um, demographics and psychographics and, and and all those other things that make us who we are, right? And then you look at hunting right which is by large it's mostly white it's mostly male and it's getting a lot older the, the average hunter is right yeah mm-hmm. um and in order for hunting to be relevant in in in, in, a, in the future you know we need more people to support and advocate and and vote for hunting right um you know if i could snap my fingers and have it be the case that we could win that, you know, in the middle ground, right? Um, but there's not really, like, a path to that. The The people who aren't connected and actively participating in hunting, um, that's where we can make gains for advocacy. But it seems to me that we're, we're okay with, with not becoming, we're becoming less relevant in society, right? Yeah. And what hunting needs, right, is a well-rounded portfolio of, of, of those stakeholders into the future. Um, and if we're going to be more relevant, you know, we've got to fight to have hunting, uh, you know, be something that all Americans can see themselves doing. Yeah. And, and if they're not doing it, then at least supporting it um, because, you know, they know that people like them do things like 
hunting. That's an an age-old marketing concept. People like me do things like this. Um, And with people becoming more distant from the resource and seeing that hunting population continue to be that that throw that old demographic um, that that was in the seventies and the eighties, uh, and not seeing it change, that's really that's really hurting our relevancy uh, with with that with the average American. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that's becoming an issue not only it's just across the board when it comes to gun rights, outdoors activities, and I agree with you. I mean, we're definitely farther generations removed. The farther we get away from that, and the less support that we have. And I think, I mean, it's, it's becoming a significant issue. And I like, that's my, that's my consideration of being, being worried about what the next step is. Uh, not just across the board. I mean, we're even seeing the demographic change that we've talked about that even in like Nebraska and especially like Eastern Nebraska where you have more urban populations and it's like, you know what? What does the future hold? Um, that that part of it makes me worried. And you know, like you said, you've talked about. Obviously, started the podcast with your daughter and my future. You know, my daughter. And like I've had, I've been blessed with a lot of private land opportunities. But the farther we get removed, uh, and more urbanized as a society, and destroying acres of land, how much opportunity is my kid going to have? And that or even my kid's kid, you know, that you think about 20 years, then you start thinking about 50. It's mm-hmm. like, that's when you really start getting worried. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so like what, what it is that we love to do and, and enjoy every weekend in the fall and the, the winter and the spring, like that has to be relevant to a lot more folks. Um, and, and then wanting the same things, uh, or at least seeing that there's value in, and what it is that we do in those places, um, which, yeah, I don't know um, how much time we got left. I think I think you wanted to talk about the Pittman Robertson Modernization Act, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, that's a huge connecting. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to run that direction, yeah. it's probably a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So Pittman Robertson. Um, have, you, have you guys covered this on your show before? I can't remember. Uh, Pittman pieces. We have not. Uh, Jeremy and I have talked about it. I haven't gotten the full scale of what's going on, so if you share that with us. From my understanding, at least what I've got is, is that there's quite a few Republicans that have decided to do away with the Pittman-Robertson fund or put it somewhere else. I don't think it's quite a few. I think it's just one specifically from Georgia that yeah. put this. Oh, yeah, no, there's like, a, there's like 54 co-sponsors now, but let me... Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll just give a quick flyover, like, like kind of explain it like I'm five. Um, so Pittman Robertson act, right. It's been around for a hundred years, mm-hmm. uh, 1937. Or so, um, here, here's how that works for, for anybody that, that doesn't know how it works. Okay. So you as a customer, you want a gun or ammo or, or archery equipment, right? So you, you're creating this demand and then there's, there's a manufacturer and there's a retailer and all that. So the manufacturer of that product makes, makes the product and then pays an 11% federal excise tax on it before it gets to you, before it gets to the retailer. Right. So that tax money that the manufacturer paid, uh, which is like 11% and uh, 10%, I can't remember handguns is 10% or, or what it might be, but that tax money is then put into the, the, the federal um, pot for the U S fish and wildlife service. 
Um, and it's the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is charged to distribute that to state wildlife agencies uh, for conservation funding. Um, so all of that money goes to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or the Department of Interior um, to distribute. Um, then the state wildlife agencies, you know, they don't just get that money. They have to earn it. Um, and they earn it through, through several ways, right? So uh, generating money from, from license sales uh, or volunteer hours, you know, those type of things that they can basically show that they've created, uh, you know, money or, or, or profit from, right? And then there's like a little calculation there on, on how much uh, land is in your state as well. Um, so they have to gain money, right? They have to earn money. Yeah. Um, second thing that they can't do with with that is, is they can't take any hunting or fishing license um, money and, and spend it on like roads or like baby formula or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they can only spend it on, on conservation. Um, and so basically the state earns money and spends it only on conservation and the feds will, will match that money. Um, some facts about Pittman Robertson, right, is that manufacturers are widely in support of this, of uh, paying this federal excise tax. Um, at, at the very least, besides all the other great things about it and intrinsic values that it provides for them, is that it's just an investment in the future of their business. You know, more conservation on the ground means more people who are going to go out and enjoy the product itself. Um, second fact, uh, hunters, hunters are in support of this, too. Right um, and, and and shooters, right? We'll, we'll bear the burden of of a little higher cost of, of guns and ammo and and this equipment because uh, the manufacturers have to pay that excise tax. It's, it's an investment for us too. Um, kind of getting to what you guys were just alluding to on the Pittman Robertson things, right? Um, Pittman Robertson Act is bipartisan. Um, this isn't a, a right or a left piece of legislation. It's close to hundred years old. Um, and it's really important. I, I think I need to say there's like trade-offs to being a hunter and a conservative mm-hmm. and there's trade-offs to being a hunter and a liberal. It's just like end point. Yep. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but this should not be one of those trade-offs. Yep. Uh, and like you were saying, yeah, there's been recent proposals, uh, to, to end this tax. It's called the, the return act, um, put together by uh, Republican, um, Georgia, uh, from Georgia, uh, Clyde, Andrew Clyde, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and he has, it's not just a couple, um, as you're saying, there's like 54 co-sponsors, um, of this. I don't think it's like, it's not me. It's not like I'm a professional at reviewing legal and law. Um, it, from what I've heard, it doesn't have very much momentum or, or any legitimacy to even attempt being, um, like passed. Uh, uh, so it's not like something like, what's up? Oh, no, I, you can finish and then I'll go ahead. Oh, I just want to say, I mean, the hunting community has like stood up incredibly. This is like in this, all this conversation that we've been having tonight, if I could get the entire hunting community to react to the way they did to the Pittman Robertson act and everything that's going on right now to any of our other issues, I don't know how many issues we would actually have because there's been, it just is amazing to me. Like within hours of that being proposed and, uh, you know, shoveled out to the public, I think I saw it. 
on like 50 different platforms. It felt like different, many, so many different communities. I mean, and it just, you know, spider web. Oh, trust me. It was insane. I went looking for Ben Sasson. He's lucky (laughs) not in there. I'm just telling you right now, he would have heard from me. So, I was pleasantly delighted to not see any Nebraska yeah. um, co-sponsors on that. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right, right? They did. Like, this is something that we should unite around. And, and even if there's not like uh, a fart's chance in the wind of this actually getting passed, I think what we need to see, not just from hunters, but like from the community at large and the manufacturers and, and all these other organizations. And honestly, just like tell this to your neighbor. But the, the more strongly we can just slam the door on legislation like this, where it's like, honestly, to me, it looks like political games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's really what it was. It was using the American sportsmen and our conservation model or our funding of the conservation model as political fodder for whatever it is that they were, they were reacting to. Um, right. And we need to just really stand up, shut the door on this thing so hard, so hard. In fact, that like, nobody ever wants to touch that issue with a 10 foot pole. Again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that consistent and stable funding sources for these state fish and wildlife agencies who, you know, on a smaller scale, I mean, that's, that's the benefit of a federal government, right? Or a strong one is, is that they can incur, uh, and withstand bad economics, right? We can take on debt. Um, we can, um, you know, tax at a large scale and redistribute resources um, as 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 the the smaller entities would need them, right? And so that's that's really kind of critical to have that stable funding source because if we were to just be reliant on on you know the the state's uh, ability, and I'm not just saying Nebraska here, mm-hmm. right? Because Nebraska is pretty strong in that that aspect um, to fund their conservation man, we would be, there would be a lot, we'd be in a lot worse situation um, than, than we are today. And we'd be finding ourselves in that, in that pre-conservation movement era again, where um, we don't have white tails on the landscape. We don't have canvas backs floating through, you know, relatively small lakes and things like that. We would just be back in that, that time of uh, the scarcity of game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, those funds, are often the largest source of funding for, for your state agency, wherever you're listening to this from. Uh, in a lot of cases, it's 50 to, to 75% of their, of their funding. Um, and since it's like inception, it's been over like 13 or like $12 billion have been collected from, uh, from, from these manufacturers that are supporting the hunters and outdoor recreational demand. So, uh, but but all that aside, so that's Pittman Robertson. That's the recent attack on it. Uh, that's kind of how it works, right? Um, but back to the to the point, right? Of the Pittman Robertson Modernization Act from from 2019, we made some changes, um, and it's always risky, though, right? Like we see, oh, in 2019, we make some changes to the Pittman Robertson, uh, you know, act, and and you know, two years later, we're we're seeing people think that oh, that's something that we can reopen. Um, but they made two kind of critical changes in 2019 to, to PR and, um, mostly about how you can, you can spend PR dollars, um, at the state agency level and kind of opening that up for, you know, um, shooting ranges, um, and, 
uh, R3 initiative, right? And so that's kind of a change from uh, the past. Uh, in the past, those things were kind of off limits from from Pittman Robertson funding. Um, but in trying to understand that, yeah, wow, we have a large uh, amount of our, our stakeholders, the, the baby boomers, that in 15 years, we're not going to have them. And um, when you lose a, you know, a significant chunk of the people that are paying and, and funding that model at the very lowest level, right? The people generating the demand for, for firearms, ammunition, archery equipment, and uh, whatnot, then you've got to invest some amount of marketing dollars um, and some programs to, to help drive that participation up so that the funding model at the base level, uh, you know, the, the, the triangle or the pyramid doesn't turn upside down, right? And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, aren't actually, um, you know, too supportive of, you know, Pittman-Robertson dollars being spent on R3. Um, you know, coming back to the question of, is, you know, how, how much do you support R3? Do you support it? Or, you know, who doesn't? So uh, that that's kind of what I just wanted to cover in, the, in, the, in, in that. That's, that's a lot of talk on, on federal funding models. Well, that's a, it's a good thing. I think... Speaking to like the base base idea of what you're talking about and something that really scales it down and kind of gives a little more clear of uh, clear paint paint a clear picture. And we talked about this a little bit, especially on the uh, we talked about tips on how to get away from or make the most of your money with gas pricing. Um, we talked about there's going to be a significant amount of guys that may have went out the last couple of years, especially with that COVID year that had more time for him that would hunt zero to five times a year. That's like, yeah. <clears throat> that has been the guy that goes from zero to 10 times a year is the difference between the generations of the baby boomers and our generation. The guys that would go out a few times a year when it was like opening day or it was good. Now we have a new populations of hunter like us that just, like that's that's our lifestyle, but that's what we do as a hobby, and a, a lot of our population has really went to. I have a hobby. I'm gonna go 100 percent or 100 miles an hour oh. as one hobby, and <clears throat> we've we've really missed out on people that kind of do this and that and do it a few times. But go back to the gas pricing thing. You know, there's a lot of license holders from the last two years that had more time because of COVID that would go a few times a year that because of gas pricing and the more expensive shells and the pinch on their wallet across the board are not going to go out there this year. And it really is up to R3 to be able to, is on a, like, on that level, talking about the Pittman-Robertson app, still be able to fund conservation by losing, even if we lose those license sales, but talking about the Pittman-Robertson Act, then on the backside is you using marketing funds where it's like, hey, it funds guys like you that say, send that email to say, hey, like, maybe you need to get that duck license. Like, duck, you know, opening <laughs> duck duck hunting is coming, or opening day duck hunting is coming back. He's like, okay, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, but, yeah. maybe, maybe I need to, okay, maybe I'll buy that license. Maybe I'll still go out. Well, you know, an interesting thing that you said there, right, um, about, it's like, I, I really am thinking about the people that I know that are hunters, and I don't know any dabblers. Yeah. Like, it's either 
hardcore all about it and lifestyle, or it's the guy that we took out last year and, um, you know, he's not, he's not coming back or whatever. He's like, yeah, that was cool. Whatever. There's no like, Oh yeah. Just one weekend a year. Um, type of people, at least that I know. So, and, Uh, and you're right, man. Like with the talking about things that we can't control, uh, and gas prices and all that. Well, a lot of, I don't think a lot of people, I think they don't realize that the good old days are right now. Yeah. Like we are living in the good old days, uh, ladies and gents, and it's like no bones about it. Hopefully we can prove that wrong. Um, but you know, we know that population and, and sentiment wanes and, and grows with external factors like, like gas prices. And R3 is kind of that, like, hopefully can be that critical arm and making sure that there's a stable investment stakeholder. Right? What happens when we go back to the seventies and eighties? Uh, where we're down to three or four ducks uh, a day, right, is our limit. And there's, you know, we have significant drought in the, the, the breeding grounds. And, and all of a sudden now you can only shoot one mallard or something like that. Like, are we going to have a solid enough base and culture and uh, amount of people that are like, yeah, don't care about that. I'm just going to go duck hunting. Duck hunting's awesome. doesn't matter if I can't limit out or if I do limit out at three ducks. Like, how do we create that? Um, because, uh, like I said, we're in the good old days right now. We got to capitalize on that and make those those like not fair weather um, conservation minded hunters now. Well, and that that's I guess that's probably another conversation for another day. But yeah, that I would say the the hunting culture and that sentiment definitely. It, that is one extreme that I'm not looking forward to because it's going to happen. Uh, you know, we we have managed to be in a life cycle of uh, the prairies that we have managed to have liberal bag limits for, I mean, as far as pretty much as long as I've been alive at this point. And eventually we yep. are going to hit a drought stage. And I thought it was coming. And this last year proved different, which is phenomenal. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say it's bad, bad, but I'm just saying, like, we are going to hit that. And I'm my my worry about the, the hunting culture right now, we are going to have that, that backlash. And there's a lot of people that are going to walk away from the sport. And the other part that worries me is that you've got a lot of guys that say that would be good for the sport. And that also worries me, too. And I think something that shows up a lot with R3 is <clears throat> I think a lot of the division that has managed to uh, mount into the political stream extremes have also managed to make their way into the outdoor community. And that, that also worries me. Yeah. Like I know but, I feel that same way being a middle ground person on, on politics and, and having to navigate that through, you know, <laughs> through uh, what's, what's best for, like one of the things that's most important to me. Well, um, and like I was saying with those trade-offs, right. But there are times like I, I try to stay away from politics on the show and like we have dabbled into politics on things in here and I do get kind of wound up about stuff. But you know, the funny thing is I remember being on your, uh, on the foul front podcast when you were doing it and it was, uh, you, Alex, Matt and I, and we like had finished up the podcast. And Alex said something to the fact effect of like, I wonder, he's like, I wonder why outdoorsmen, more outdoorsmen are Democrats. And I, I remember in my response and I said, well, people tend to worry more about their wallets than they do about conservation. 
or, you know, about that. But on the other side, you've got social values and that's a whole different spectrum. But like that's, that was my biggest thing with the pot or the Pittman Robertson act and seeing that it's just like, there's, you know, whatever side you want to be on a conservative, you do have that trade off of conservation and, you know, it almost seemed like you saw those people that signed on that act was like kind of a slight, you know, it was definitely a knife in the back and a reminder that it doesn't matter what, if it's an R or D, like you got to fight for what you believe in. Yeah, 100%. So, well, as we come to, I think, the close of this, I have like one big tip for any deer hunters out there this year. And it's something I think that addresses a lot of the things that we were talking about on this, um, on this, on this here podcast. Um, and it's something that has brought immense value, um, to, to my experience, uh, in hunting in the last, uh, two seasons. Are we game or not game? Oh, you go ahead, buddy. Oh, I, thought you were going. I, was, okay, I was, right. was waiting for it. Sorry. <laughs> all right. My number one tip for deer hunting this season is like a call to action. Everybody listening to this. Make a deer camp. 100%. And when I say that, yeah, oh yeah, I highly recommend putting one together. Uh, bringing that community culture back into hunting. Yeah, you don't have to all go travel somewhere and hunt like the same property or the same couple miles. No, it like invite your buddies to do some things around the deer rifle opener. Um, invite your landowners, invite people who are, are hunt curious, um, but party veterans, right? Make it a family event, kid friendly. Um, for instance, like I'll give you a breakdown. This is, so we'll be going into our third year uh, of our deer camp, um, this year. And what we do a Friday afternoon, you know, people, some guys get off work early. Uh, we go do a group site in, you know, just at, at, at this little private range, uh, just down the road from where we hold our deer camp. Mm-hmm. Um, that evening, you know, I always offer to smoke everyone's clothes, um, if they bring them and, um, you know, we do a little meal with all the hunters and the people that are going to be taking out, uh, with you. Like that's one of our things is like, we try to, everybody's got a hunting buddy out with them. Um, and either maybe it's just two dudes hunting together or it's, you know, it's kind of, kind of got that mentor mentee or kind of exposing them. Um, and it's like a great way to do that. Um, but you, you all come over the, the night before you talk strategy get some hot takes, uh, go over final preparation and do any like gear swapping or outfitting for the, for the new folks that might not have the gear that they need. Um, and then one thing I did this year, I was, I was able to print out like a big map of where everyone was hunting. I put everyone's hunting maps on there, kind of the benefits of being the, the guy that everybody tells where they're, they're hunting or where their honey hole is. <laughs> um, and uh, everyone was like glued to that map all night. And it was like the focal point of conversation and debate um, about the, the next morning, right? Um, then Saturday morning, you know, uh, either everyone meets up there or some of the people that, you know, maybe the new guys or, or gals are going to go meet up out there with their mentor or, or their buddy. And uh, otherwise, the hunters just you go your separate ways. Go do your hunt, right? Uh, someone at camp needs to turn all the crock pots on. Um, and as people, you know, start tagging out throughout the day, uh, they stop by the deer check station and then they bring their, their deer to camp to hang up. Uh, then we got like football and, and crock pot meals there. And, you know, all the early success people, you know, they go home during the, the day and they take their nap and then 
party starts around two hours before sunset. Uh, wives, husbands, kids running around uh, doing things like bounce house or like a shooting a BB gun, got some music. Uh, then it's time for the kids to go to the go to bed, right, or go to babysitter. Um, and it's just a little party with game meat and food. And uh, this is like we we invite our landowners out, and they've really like loved it. Like they they get to hear the stories about us hunting on their land. They get to see all these crazy people that they let run around. And and oh by the way, we like we fill them up with food and, and booze, and then drive them home. Right? Yeah, they love it. Uh, first year though, we made a huge mistake. We said, hey everybody bring your deer back here and Ben and Devin are going to cut your deer up for you. Oh, package gosh. it. Well, we ended up with like four or five deer on a pole and like, it was just me and I don't know if you guys know Devin or not. Um, but, uh, he's like a pro at, at cutting things up. And I was just like, it was like midnight and I'd had like three deers. That was it. Like, cause I'd been cutting so much. Um, yeah, man, make the food great. Invite your landowners. Uh, invite your friends or, you know, just keep it low key, but whatever it is, like just have it something that like can create like a cultural touch point, um, for like your family to look forward to your friends. Like, I don't know, man, I'm a, I never thought it was something cool. Um, but we've been doing it this last two years and I just can't tell you how much, like I look forward to it and how much it's like enhanced hunting. You know, I, I meet new people cause other people come over and like, I've gotten a, you know, a permission out of it. And I've gotten, you know, a new hunting buddy out of it and that sort of deal. So hmm. that's my, that's my takeaway for the podcast. I completely agree. I mean, I think even people who don't like deer hunting would like stuff like that. I mean, Oh yeah. We have people that like, they're like, I'm not going to come to deer camp. And I'm like, no, 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 You don't understand. Like, it's just kind of a party out in a barn. And yeah. There's some dead deer hanging over there in the corner. But like, other than that, it's just good people, you know? Maybe you come to deer camp, and if you don't want to deer hunt, you go duck hunting or something. Maybe you take your black lab and go shoot some pheasants or something like that. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure, talking to anybody whatever. in particular here. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I completely, uh, like, on a more serious note, I completely agree. Deer camp is, like, I love waterfowl hunting. I really, really do. I, lo- I love to do a little bit of everything, actually. But there is a singular trip or singular weekend that I look towards look forward to every single year and that my group of people starts talking about in June. I mean, and that's, that's deer camp. I mean, we try and figure out where we're going to go, you know, are we hunting private or public? And I think last year we had like 10 guys, which we were on public land. So that makes that crazy. But it's still a blast, an absolute blast. You get back and we had some new hunters last year who were able to shoot some deer for the first time and or maybe only their second deer or something like that. And oh man, that is an absolute blast. Just seeing just listening to those stories and seeing the joys of that. Uh, oh but, yeah. Yeah. Get, if if you've never done it before, you you should really look into getting to, into a deer camp because it is an absolute yeah. blast. Sounds like we're gonna have to create our own duck camp. I, and that is a very valid point right there. It doesn't have to just be a deer camp. If you've got a bunch of people that like to do something of hunting, you know, period, or who are interest in, interested in in it, go and do it. Because I've done a duck camp before, only with like three or four people, but you know you 
take three or four people, you hunt the whole weekend, you have a couple of drinks, and you eat some good food in the evening, and just hang out. It doesn't have to just be deer camp. It could be whatever camp you want. I've done a turkey camp. Yeah, man. Just bringing that community aspect and like the the bonding and just creating like cultural artifacts in your memory uh, and and other people's memories um, that help them think fondly of 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 hunting. Um, I don't know. It's just really powerful, and I'm super glad to have it uh, like in my life now. I don't think I'll ever stop doing it. Oh, hundred percent. My uh, my thought when you started going off the deer tangent was like the first thought that come to my mind is you were heading that direction and you've said the last two years. So I was thinking about your daughter and I was like the 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 video about the daughter that opens up the chip bag and just starts crunching on chips. That was the first thing that came to mind, <laughs> like for <laughs> sure. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Like uh, if you want a piece of advice about like being a parent, getting a young child out into the outdoors, um, you know, the first thing it is, is it's no longer about getting a deer. It's no longer about getting a duck. It's no longer about even seeing anything. It's about being outside, being together, and creating positive memories, like, in the outdoors that they can look back onto. No part of their success, KPIs or metrics, should be about whether they saw anything. It should be that, like, oh, man, I loved waking up early. I loved going to the gas station, getting whatever junk food dad bought for me that mom said I couldn't have. And that we went out and dad told a bunch of funny jokes. I got the color in my coloring book. Um, and we just had a great time. Like That's all it should be. Um, here's the problem. And, here's the problem, Ben, with that. Those, those same snacks like Casey's pizza and chalky milk eventually uh, catches up and you, you start gaining some weight. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's, here's how you burn that off. Like, um, if you don't do it right and, um, you know, your, your daughter, Grant, thankfully she's only like 30 pounds. She's in like the second percentile of weight, but like carrying in her for like half a mile and all the gear and oh, everything else, you burn that off pretty quick. It sounds like you might as well be doing like a backcountry elk hunt with how much gear and how much weight you're going to have to carry in there. I'm going to have ridiculous. Ridiculous. To- ridiculous very gear intensive on the opening morning of turkey season this year i can tell you for a fact if it was just me i had two shells in my pocket one collapsible turkey decoy and my shotgun you know that's pretty much it uh-huh. uh, but no i had a uh, like a 360 degree ground blind <laughs> a heater with a propane tank because <laughs> i couldn't find any of the little ones i had a backpack for her full of snacks. I had a backpack for me and all of our decoys. And I walked it like 40 yards from the truck. And I was like, Nope, we're hunting here. And we actually, uh, <laughs> we actually got one. Well, we didn't get one. We, we uh, mortally wounded one, but uh, that's, you know, never fun. Never. Yeah. Another story in itself. But, um, yeah, man, besides that, besides those things, right. It's like, early and often communication of like what happens and the expectations of a hunt, just building that into like the everyday narrative for like a little kid is like critical, critical. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, jump off here. Um, yeah. Um, before we sign off, I just want to say thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you 
uh, giving us your input and your viewpoint, especially from being in the outdoor industry and dealing with R3 day to day. Um, just before we get off, just give us uh, one little positive tip before we go about saying, if you can do anything for R3 on a small daily basis, what would you do? Oh, man, besides just kind of being supportive and being that like positive character in that story that we're going to tell to our, our that our kids are going to tell to their kids uh, about how like you know you did everything in in your 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 hand there. I would say stop whining about public land access and go create access. That's a tough one to crack. It's one of the toughest things to crack, right? Yep. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on uh, against us, you know, public land folks and access for new hunters or shooters to get out there and try it. But, um, like don't succumb to, you know, the tragedy of, of the commons, right. Where, you know, a situation presents itself and individual users who have like this open and unfettered access to a resource, um, with no rules or, or consistent rules, they all act independently, like according to their own self-interest and, uh, contrary to the, to the you know, common good of us all. Um, and so doing, they cause the depletion of that resource. Um, and so just don't like stick to the, to the virtues and your ethics. You know, you see somebody walking up to you in your deer stand, like don't act like there's a, the, the worst thing that's ever happened to, to you, to hunting, like in the grand scheme of things. Yes. Maybe that hunt was ruined for you, but like, what else did you ruin by creating a negative situation for that person? You know what I mean? You, yeah. you, you ruined our, 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 our family that we are as hunters, right? Um, maybe that person never hunts again, right? Um, just do all the things that like is within your ethical code that you like would be proud to tell your mom or your daughter, right? About how you handled yourself. Um, in in the dealing of these resources like showing up at you know 11 p.m when you're not supposed to be there until 4 a.m and uh at the duck blind right um because there's rules there but you decided to camp there anyways and you beat everybody else out right like that's something that we we've all done but like i'm the first person there because i'll tell you this i will invite you to come out and like hunt that area as long as you don't like a serial killer i should say but like pass it on like be that guy you know be that gal um out, out there so I, that's it that was, good. <laughs> that was long-winded no i i appreciate that i and just call it the don't be that guy no be that guy yeah yeah exactly but i'm gonna get mine crowd um because it's like oh public land sucks and there's there's only so many big bucks or there's only so many ducks like that I'm going to get mine crowd probably not going to be looked upon kindly uh, in, in the history books after we do save all this, right? Yeah. Well, I appreciate your input. Uh, yeah, thanks for again. I look forward to hopefully having you in the duck blind or I would say deer camp, but I <laughs> I don't really deer hunt. But oh. well, you can you can come out out to deer camp. I I think I said it earlier in that. Like you don't have to hunt deer see i would actually see what i would do is i'd go go to deer camp and then i just take my dog and go pheasant hunt and like non-public land 
non-hunting. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Eastern Nebraska deer hunting rifle season scares me. Like, there's bullets flying everywhere. I'm yeah. just being honest. I'm little, I'm kind of weary about little 40. that. Forty. Yeah. Little forty. So, but either way. All right. Well, uh, hope you have a good night, and uh, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good stuff.